Welcome to Blitzcast number 229. 229, I thought we were on 129. Uh, we're here with uh, our new employee, uh, new to not new to the website, but new to Blitzcast, John Vogel, who is now full-time with NFL Draft Blitz. We are really excited about him. Um, I'm going to be hosting the show today, Ed Hunt. Um, Brendan is out. Um, he's got a family emergency, so it's just John and I uh, today. Um, we're going to be talking about college football. We're going to be talking about NFL. We're going to put a few guys under the microscope, some big names under the microscope, some some top tier guys. Um, that you know, we've got my favorite quarterback on the show. Um, first things first, I do want to hear from John, just kind of a little background, um, just so you can get to know him. Uh, you probably know him from draft circles. Um, you probably know him from football Twitter, but you may not know him from Blitzcast. He is the new addition. So, uh, John, why don't you, why don't you kind of introduce yourself? Tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. First off, I have to say thank you. Uh, for the opportunity to be doing this like this is uh pretty big and it's exciting because there's there's so many uh this has been a website has been around for such a long time uh the opportunity to finally kind of sit down and watch tape and do that full time uh is awesome and you know get to talk about players and stuff so a little bit of background about me um i've just i was a football nut uh growing up i just from about seven years old i just couldn't get enough of the sport i just ate it up everything i could um my physical fatigue doesn't exactly translate well to the football field uh unfortunately i'm about five six and when i was growing up a buck 30 uh, i think was a big deal when i hit that i was really excited but so i I missed out on playing but when i realized that i I wasn't going to be able to play in the nfl i had to figure out some way to do football full like as be involved in the sport and do it full time and that was my goal um, so I've covered, you know, NFL teams. I've done some college football stuff. I've covered some other sports too, but nothing is really like football, man. It's, it's football. It's, it's the greatest sport on the planet. There's nothing like it. Yeah. And, uh, what, what, what kind of attracts you to the NFL draft? Like what, uh, you know, like what, I mean, I, I was like, I used to say like draft is like my Christmas, right? Like what, what, what attracts you to the NFL draft? Yeah. So honestly, what it was, was being an NFL analyst and analyzing teams. And I really got interested in roster building and the way that rosters are constructed. And, you know, when, when you're little and you're, you know, you got, you're playing Madden and you play the franchise mode and stuff. And you're like, Oh man, like, you know, I could build a team. I could be really good at it. And then you find, you, you know, you find out that it's not that easy. You know, you don't have ratings on players that are just how it translates to the game and blah, blah, blah. But what happened was I would listen to, you know, uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr. and the ESPN NFL draft coverage at the time. This was, you know, the 2010s, I guess. And uh, I, I would notice how often they'd be wrong. And, of course, me being, you know, a football fan, I'm like, well, I could do that better than them, so I'm going to give it a try. And so I started uh, the first year that I really, really started doing it was 2016. Uh, so Dak Prescott. Uh, was one of my favorite guys in that class. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember. There was a Alabama linebacker, might have been Dylan Moses, coming out that year. You know, so 
I, I started with a little draft notebook and started looking at prospects and then realized how quickly, you know, over the next couple of years, how, how easy it is to get players wrong. And I was like, man, I love doing this more than anything that I've done football wise, you know, watching players and talking about what they do well and what they don't do well. And then at that point it was like, well, I need to learn more about that, you know, and how, how do you evaluate a player? What are you looking for in different position groups? And that, that's led me into, you know, what I've, done so far in my life was just interest and being passionate about it and it was exciting you know so um that's how I got into the NFL draft was really just out of necessity I can't trust these guys I need to watch it myself cool well um yeah I mean uh, you know I, I say it on Twitter I mean I have a disclaimer and uh you know the truth is is that uh, both of us have done a deep dive into the NFL draft and we've you know, scouted hundreds, thousands of players. And um, you, you can never really know for sure, you know, wh- who a player is going to be. Like, you just don't know if they're going to develop. And that's that's really the truth about scouting. That's the truth about football. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is why these guys get paid to do it. Um, you know, this is why this is why the GM job is hard. And this is why guys get fired after two years or three years or um, – you know, so forth, because it's very competitive and it's very difficult to do. Um, you know, I, I, I think on a level, um, scouting is relative. You know what I'm saying? It's a it's an opinion. And I can give you an opinion, and I think it's probably the most accurate, you know, out there as far as, you know, what, what a player is. You know what I'm saying? As a prospect. I use the term prospect. But I, I can't ever really know who a player is. And I have learned that from uh you know being in these draft circles yeah no it's 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 all subjective right everything that you're looking at when when you're looking at a player is subjective to a million different things that could you know that could change the outcome and so it's in it's an inexact science and i mean that's kind of what makes it fun right is well figuring out what what it is that's going to make this guy good right is it scheme is it a coach is it you know he's got his family life together for the first time in his life you just you never know with these guys and um i think one of the biggest things that we need to do you know as evaluators you know that uh you separate yourself from being a fan is understanding that human element of it right where everybody has different things going on in their life that you know change things and you know they can change focus and so it's it's not being overly critical and just hateful and, well, I didn't think this guy was going to be good, so I'm not going to like him for the rest of his career. I think really what it is is you're rooting for these guys to be successful and you're just pointing out the flaws in hopes that they're going to real they're going to figure out some way to get past those flaws. Yeah. Well, you know, I could talk about draft philosophy with you forever. <laughs> um, but, you know, we did some research on some guys. Uh and I, and I want to talk about kind of, I mean, this is a better quarterback class. This is a good quarterback class. Uh, and there's there's one in particular I want to talk about. Uh, and today we're kind of put them under the microscope. If you've listened to the show, you've heard Alex and I do it. Um, you know, you might have heard Angelo and Brendan do it. Um, but we're going to put CJ Shroud under the microscope. And, uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is this is preliminary. Um you know, this is this is where he is now, and we we know that uh, in a college football season that a guy's draft stock can really change every game. Um, but where we see him at this point in the draft process, because we are an NFL draft website, 
So first I want to go with CJ Shroud, uh, who's a quarterback from Ohio State. And I just want to introduce him as, to me, he's my number one quarterback. And I mean, you and I can debate uh, Bryce Young and it's on and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> but, you know, I like you, so I don't, I don't want it to get dirty, but, uh, you know, we, we, I mean, we can have that debate, but why don't, why don't we first talk about CJ Shroud? Um, and what do you, what are you seeing on film? What do you, what do you like about this guy? What do you not like about this guy? Okay. So what I like about CJ Stroud is first of all, he has a great body size, right? Um, in turn for for a quarterback you don't have to be six five and you know tom brady 225 pounds you don't have to be that anymore but you know so one of the things that he does have an advantage in especially with this class there's not a lot of really really big guys you know that are traditional pocket passer people um i've got him at he measured in i think at the spring uh at 0625 or 6025 which is you know six foot almost six foot three 218 um, so I really like the size and the arm is fun. I really think that, um, the arm is in his arm strength and the way that, you know, he can push the ball is intriguing. It's not great, but it's good. Uh, I think he can push the ball effectively up to 50 yards. And then I really like, uh, the pocket positioning. I think he does a really good job in that. And I mean, you can make the argument that he benefited from having a solid offensive line. Uh, most of his career. I don't think, I think this year they have the worst offensive line he's, you know, that Ohio State's had for a while. But um, he's he sets up well in the pocket. He, you know, he, he knows where to go. His, his drop is solid. I like all of that. And I guess some of the, some of the outside of the pocket ability that he shows as well, I think that he, he's not a, a runner. You know, he doesn't want to take off and get down the field. He wants to kind of roll outside of the pocket and extend the play. And I like that too. You know, because uh, there's so many times that you're watching it. Like LSU playing Florida State on Sunday night, watching Jaden Daniels just tuck it and run every time the read wasn't there was just excruciating. Uh, he's not like that. So he's going to try to, you know, improvise a little bit or extend the play, whatever he has to do. And so I, I like all of that stuff about him. Um, I'm worried about his base, honestly, when it comes to, see, when it comes to uh, his game. And I, and I just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to – I mean, just – you know, for, for, for amateur scouts at home, I mean, you know, the quarterback position, I mean, a lot of it depends on the base, right? Like this, this is, you know what I mean? Like a lot of, a lot of, you know, your throwing ability, like really your technique is, is your base, right? Like that's, you know, I remember talking to Steven Montez, uh, you know, I interviewed him twice, you know, at the senior bowl and he talked about that. And then he talked about how, he had kind of worked on that. I mean, that's that's something that these quarterbacks are really working on, you know, from that kind of senior bowl time to uh, their pro day. So Yeah, no, and think of it like the foundation of a house, right? So when you talk with a quarterback's coach and you ask a quarterback's coach, and, I, you know, I've, there's several that I've spoken with, and, you know, I, I have that episode on the JDV experience where we talk with Tom George, who's, you know, done a lot of high school and college coaching. Uh, at the quarterback position, really smart guy. But any quarterback's coach, pretty much you'll ask them, what's the most important thing about a quarterback? And they're always going to go to – they're not going to talk about their arm strength. Oh, I love watching arm. They're not, that's not the first thing that comes up. It's not the, oh, he can run and he's so good at you know extending plays. It's not that. It's the base. It's the footwork. And so what I kind of noticed when I was watching tape was he has a very wide base. 
um, when he is throwing. And I think part of the reason for that is what it looks like to me is he has a smaller torso than a lot of people his size typically have. And so his legs are longer. And so it's more uncomfortable for him, you know, to set up. It's more com- Well, it's more comfortable for him to set up with a wider base. But his base is excruciatingly wide. Like, it's, it's, it's almost painful, you know, when you watch a lot of different guys and, you know, you, you see what the good ones do, and then you see a guy that he has the potential to be great and he's not there. So it's almost like, man, I just want to take those legs and I want to push them together a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, not, and not in a bad way or anything, but just, come on, man, stand up just a little bit taller. You know, you don't have to be that wide. Because part of the issue is when you're transferring your weight – you know, from your back leg to your front, because you're using your hip power really to 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 put your your throw into motion. Um, when you when your base is too wide, you lose a lot of that power. And so I think that his arm could be better if he could get that cleaned up. And and that's the thing is it's inconsistent because um, sometimes he does stand pretty well. Usually when he's throwing to his left or he's throwing a little check down or something, um, he he does a really good job standing and, and getting that base right and he throws well from it and so I see the velocity and I see that and that's what's intriguing is it's like if I if he can get that base straight and consistently straight he could be really good um, so but it worries me because that's that's that factor that we're talking about do do players is he going to develop that yeah you know I, I I think from a technique standpoint I mean if it if I'm drafting a quarterback, like little fixes like that, you know what I'm saying? I, and I, I, and I'm glad that you're detailed about it, but I mean, you, you know, from, from a kind of more bird's eye view, I mean, which is kind of what I'm going to describe, uh, you know, compared to that, uh, you know, I, I would, I would say that, you know, he, he's, he's generally, he's generally pretty good as is, right? Like he, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that kind of tells me like, Hey, this can be fixed in a training camp and we can be ready to get him ready uh, to start week one. Right? Well, yeah, like he... that's, that, that's the idea, right? And that's the, that's the question. Cause sometimes when you have a crack in your foundation, you just need to fix the crack and you can squeeze by without taking the entire house down. And so I think that's really the question with CJ is, is, is this a crack that we can fix or do we have to take totally take down his entire passing mechanics to get him to correct that? You know, so because what that does is it also ties directly into his release. His release is just a little bit elongated. Um, it's not terrible. I've seen worse, but I think part of that is the base, right? It's it's being so wide, it takes a little bit longer for his arm to come around with the ball. And so that's kind of the concern is, is that really what it is, you know, or is it more, is it a deeper problem that you can't really see on the surface immediately? Uh, that's that's my big question with him is do I have to take his entire mechanics and break them down and reteach him how to throw a football, which I hope I don't because if if I do he's not going to make it, you know unless he's a very quick learner, but um. That's that's kind of the issue there too is because it messes up with his placement. His placement's usually good, uh, especially in that, in the uh, the later games, especially Utah, last year Utah he was really on point with a lot of his throws, but. When you look at the Oregon game from last year, when you look at Notre Dame Saturday night, he's just a he's a he's a bit off. He's throwing balls behind receivers, and they're having to adjust to it. Um, he just he looks off at times, 
And uh, that's what it, it concerns me. It really does. Um, I like him. I think he's he's got the potential to be really good. I'm just worried about those couple little things. So uh, I'm going to kind of give my my kind of general, more general overview of him. Um, just I like his mobility in the pocket. That's that's something I really like about him. Uh, you know, and, and it's something that, you know, has really served guys like Kyler Murray, uh, Deshaun Watson. I mean, even guys like Josh Allen, right? Like, uh, you know, we pay these pass rushers so much money, right? And now it's becoming harder to flatten these guys, right? Like, it's harder to it's harder to control these guys. And I mean, we saw kind of with the evolution of the game, I mean, Brady never really did this, but we saw, you know, Manning never really did this, but Roethlisberger kind of always was able to do this. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he was always able to sort of move around the pocket and get away. And that could kind of extend plays. Right. And that, that could kind of uh, maybe make up for the fact that you didn't use as much draft capital or as much of your salary cap, you know, on an offensive tackle, on a right tackle against your pass rusher, right? Like you can, you have a young guy, you could have an injured guy. Uh, you could, you could, you could have problems on the offensive line and still make the big play still buy time. Right. And I, and I think that, I think that is the benefit, right? Like all these, I mean, almost all these quarterbacks can run, right? Like, I mean, most of them can, some are really good at it. Some are, you know, most of them are pretty confident at it and smart enough about it. And I mean, there's a few that are just kind of pocket guys, but for the, for the most part in this, in this day and age, right. He, I, I think I put him in that middle category was where he can kind of escape the pocket. Right. Yeah. Um, he's too valuable to me to like really like Cam Newton him. You get what I'm saying by like, you know, just, just knocking, knocking bodies. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having him go in skull first with a, you know, like a fullback, right? No, um, no. Yeah, no. I mean, that's not how that's not how you treat a quarterback of this of this um, era. Um, another thing is, is, I like his arm strength. Uh, you know, and and we see this. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. Um, just the saying, way. I, was, just the I way, said this yesterday too. Like, if there's one player I can compare him to, it's Dwayne Haskins. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, is like, I mean, Haskins was my number one that year. Like, Haskins, the prospect, is a good prospect. I mean, you agree with me. I mean, he maybe made some dumb decisions. Uh, you know, he 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 died tragically. You know, his and 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 I know Adam Schefter got in a lot of trouble for this, but the truth is, is that you know, Dwayne Haskins didn't live up to what he could have been as a draft prospect, right? And like, I I I know. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know, you know, and and, and, I, and I, I'm i saying this as a Steeler fan that really wanted Dwayne Haskins. I, I don't think Dwayne Haskins was a failure. Um, you know, he was, he was, he died in the league, right? He never, he never got cut from the league, right? right. He probably, he, he probably would be around the Pittsburgh Steelers. He'd be on their practice squad. He'd be, he'd be somewhere around the NFL if he were still alive. Well, right? honestly, but I'm just Mason saying Rudolph be the quarterback, like the third string quarterback there, if he was still alive, I think that's, a yeah. Well, question. I mean, they, you know, <laughs> with the problems, the offensive line, the Steelers have, I mean, you, you think they'd probably, they probably would have moved a quarterback and uh, you know, maybe they would have kept Haskins with that upside and maybe move Mason Rudolph, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Whereas, you know, this year they kind of kept him, but I mean, we're just, we're just saying like, I, I think like to put Adam Schefter in context, right? Like we we were really expecting big big things from Dwayne Haskins, and I think I, I want people to understand that. 
right? And and that's what we mean. Like the, the when you when you watch the film on him, uh, the Dwayne Haskins the prospect A plus. Um, going to another thing. Um, good internal clock to make quick decisions. So he's a long quarterback. He's a big quarterback. He's kind of hefty, but he's he's quick. You know what I'm saying? He's in a, he's quicker with the ball. I mean that. That, for me, is so important. I mean, you talk about Tom Brady's career. Like, if there's one feature of Tom Brady that he did from from a scouting standpoint that he could do better than anyone, was it was it, was it not internal clock? No, no, it was. That was that was what they built everything on, was his internal clock and ability to get the ball out of the pocket. Yeah, and, and I understand. I mean, now he's at an age where, I mean, he just knows the game better than anyone, right? Yeah. He knows it better. I mean, he knows it. He knows it as well as Peyton Manning, right? Like you, like it'd be interesting to like have them kind of face off, you know what I'm saying? For quarterback knowledge, right? Like I'm sure, I'm sure one would know things, the other would know. But I mean, really, really young Tom Brady. I mean, the reason why you actually even invest a sixth round pick on a non-athlete is, or you know, just not a great athlete from Michigan who's a backup quarterback is that he just gets the ball out quick, right? This is something that Belichick saw that was a step ahead of the league, right? Yeah, so, no, that is interesting. And so the the only thing that I would have to say about that is, is that CJ getting the ball out quick or is that the, how the scheme is designed? And so what I mean is I talked a lot about this when Justin Fields was coming out a couple of years ago, and it's what, what Ryan Day runs at Ohio State, which is a lot of half-field concepts. Right, so you go to the, you get to the pre-snap, and you read the field, and if you have man, you're going to run your half read, your half field uh, man, which might be on the right, might be a, a man beater combination with two receivers, and if it's zone, you're going to go to the left, which is a zone beater uh, that they're running a combination for, and so it's really predicated on the pre-snap read, and then getting to that read, you know, and and finding, and it's a one-two ball needs to be out. So, while, while I agree with you, that is important. I'm just wondering how, how much of it is CJ getting the ball out quick or how much of it is it design? You know, because that was the biggest knock I had on fields when he came out was, can he read full field progressions? And that's what he struggled with so far. Um, and I, I suppose that same concern lies, I have for CJ Stroud as well. So I mean, one thing one thing I do I do want to point out is he's an accurate quarterback. Like this is a guy who can can be in that sort of seventy percent efficiency, good quarterback rating zone, right? Like that's that's where you see him as an NFL quarterback. I think so. I hope so. You know, because it's 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 going to depend again on the team around him. You know, because football is such a team oriented sport. Um, and I, I think he's only seen like a. You know, at Ohio State, the drop rate's very low. I don't have the drop rate in front of me. I'm going to pull that up because I want to see that from PFF. Um. All right, we'll go on to um, – so I, I, I thought that was good discussion. Uh, I, I, you know, in upcoming shows, we do want to do – maybe next next show we'll do uh, um, Bryce Young, uh, and maybe we can have a little discussion between the two. Uh, you know, a little comparison. You know, who's number one? Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna advocate for Shroud. Um, I'm sure you're gonna go Bryce Young, and uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting. So that's a little teaser. Um, and then, <laughs> um, but I, I do want to talk about this kid, Will Anderson. And uh, one, one thing that I read um, 
is what he said about the game uh, was really honest, confident, and, you know, I mean, he <laughs> it was a good quote. I mean, he, pre he pretty much, the way he described uh, this Texas game is like, you know, he, he was confident in the fact that we can consistently bring the rush against these guys, right? It was confident. He knew that when he was going to get out to the, he just knows when he gets, is going to get out to the field, um, you know, and we're going to put Will under, under the microscope, but um, exactly it, the way, the way his quote was, it was almost like, we're going to put pressure on them. Don't worry about it. It's going to be tough, right? Like this is, this is how we're going to win and we're going to win. Right. And it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, a, a gimmicky guarantee, but um, that should tell you something about his mentality and his personality, um, which is actually, I think what you want in a pass rusher, which is that he's just so confident in himself as a pass rusher that he feels like he knows he can execute out there, right? Like he can, he can make the claim. And I, I, I truly believe he can back it up this week against Texas. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, the biggest thing about Will Anderson Jr. I think is the production from last year. I mean, I'm not a stat nerd typically. I don't, you know, look at stats and, you know, base all of my decisions and everything based on them. But when you have something – when you have some crazy stats, they have to be acknowledged, I think. And what he did last year, he had 17 and a half sacks. You know, that was three and a half more, I believe, than the guy who was the runner-up for the Heisman. That'd be I mean, he, Hutchins, he won Hutchins. the Bronco Nagurski trophy as a sophomore, right? Yeah. 101 tackles, 31 for loss, which uh, that is an all-time NCAA record, by the way, 31 for loss. And it's 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 insane when you look when you think of that number of a defensive end hitting a hundred tackles and thirty one of them being for loss and seventeen and a half sacks, and this is this isn't a guy that they're running the ball at every play. This is a guy that they're designing and trying to scheme against the entire time, you know. Because when you put on the games early on, if you if you are a type of person that turns on the tape for five minutes and looks at it and you don't see a big play and you turn it off, then you're gonna miss on Will Anderson. Because the entire the first couple quarters of the entire game, they're trying to scheme around him. They're running the ball away from him. They're throwing the ball away from him. You know, they're trying to chip him as much as they can with tight ends and anybody else they can throw out there. And this guy still is getting production, crazy production. I love Will Anderson. Yeah, we're gonna. This is this is gonna be a really deep dive when we get into this. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give my scouting report first. Uh, and I think it's going to be a little bit. And then I, I want you to kind of fill in the details for me. Do you yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and I want you to. I want. I want to let you know where I'm wrong. Or I. I don't. I don't know. I don't want to say I'm wrong, but I want to say that maybe you see it differently. Um, you know, your 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 tape. Um, this is a guy who's long, right? And, yes. um, he's long, and you love that as a as a scout, right? Like that's the perfect body type. But he needs to get his pad level down, right? Like it's, yes. it's. I mean, I mean, this is this is a raw prospect, right? This is a good prospect, but this is a raw prospect. I mean, for a guy who, I mean, I don't. I'm gonna say the name Jarvis Jones in the sense that you know, again, high sack numbers, highly productive in college, uh, raw. I mean, that there's they're kind of they're somewhat similar prospects. I mean, you know, Will Anderson wins. I mean, just 
Jarvis Jones just didn't play at a time that Will Anderson plays, right? Like, it, it's just that twitchy kind of, you know, um, guy that that twitchy kind of, you know, pass rusher. I mean, that's exactly that's exactly what Will Anderson is, and that's exactly what these guys want. Um, and Jarvis Jones wasn't that, and he was he was a failure and so forth. But just in the fact that he's highly productive in college, and he's and Will Anderson is is still raw, right? Like you you take him early, but you know that like he's gonna start for you day one, but he's not gonna be the guy that he can be, right? Like this is a guy who's second or third year in the league is gonna be a beast. Yeah, I, I can agree with that, and especially when you when you put on tape sometimes he when he engages with a, a lineman uh he'll sit there so you know like engaged he's he's fully engaged and everything he's looking in the backfield he's doing all those good things but he's not trying to get off of it you know he's like sitting there and i think that's a little frustrating sometimes uh as an evaluator but no you're right it's the the raw athletic ability that he has is unreal just you know uh in terms of body type i this is really nitpicking it's not a it's not a huge deal. I'm just pointing it out. It's saying he's only listed at 245, which means he might be a little bit smaller than that. So you'd really like to see him put 10 pounds on. Um, and then the other thing too is you could put him anywhere on that on that off on that defensive line. You know he he's played three tech. He's played five tech. He's played up top. You know like playing upright. Um, he drops into coverage. He does everything that you ask him to. Uh, so he has experience in all of those different things because Alabama used him all over the place. So, you know, you it, it's you're really betting on the the straight athletic ability and saying that that production will continue, just like it did in college. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a, a relatively uh, accurate assessment in terms of so much ability, but still very raw in terms of just getting it down. And part of the reason when you're locked up in a block like that, I think is you don't you're not going into a rep with a plan you know so that's that's kind of one of the biggest things about defensive linemen and edge rushers and all that in general is when you're going up against an offensive lineman you have to go into that rep with a plan okay if my first move doesn't work what's my second move or what's my third move you know and so I think that's something that he's still developing it'll come with time you know every every defensive lineman that goes in the NFL learns this that you're not going to win on your first move probably 90% of the time. So you have to have that second move already in plan, and you can do that with different offensive linemen and plan that, you know, by studying tape more. So I think as he becomes a – he's going to be a really great pro. You know, uh, they already love him over there. Steve Sarkeesian was actually the person who nicknamed him the Terminator, ironically. And, uh, you know – now he gets to go up against him at another school this weekend. That's going to be fun to watch. So one thing that I want to mention just kind of in this section is he has a quick first step, right? And, yes. uh, you know, you know, kind of a scouting school tidbit about a quick first step is they're generally guys who can play that 3-4 outside linebacker, that rush linebacker role. I definitely think – will anderson is that guy right like i i definitely see him as a three four outside linebacker now no no no. at the same time i mean his measurables he fits more as a guy who plays with his hand in the dirt now 
if you look at if you look at the tape for the Alabama Crimson Tide, you'll notice that he 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 actually does both, right? He he can you know he can you know there will be some plays where he'll you know put his hand in the dirt and sometimes he'll rush from inside or he'll you know he'll he'll fight right and then sometimes he he stands up a little bit and kind of plays that rush linebacker position. Yep. But his quick his first step is quick no matter what, right? Yeah, and he's so explosive. You know, this is a guy that's going to probably go out and leap 36 inches at the combine, you know, at, at his size. He's ridiculously explosive. I mean, he this is this is this is a guy who I mean, if if you're if you're kind of like uh, you know, kind of drawing a sort of map of this guy. I mean, this is a guy like combine is his peak, right? Like combine combines when like his draft stock goes up. Is that is that correct? Yeah, no. Combine he's gonna he, combine is where he solidifies top five pick. I think. And okay. That's the thing is you know, when you look at the at, at Alabama this year, he could go first overall and nobody would blink an eye. He's I think he's a better prospect than Jade Von Clowney was or a lot of those edge rushers that have gone first overall. Bryce Young could go first overall, you know, and that's. You have you have an offensive and a defensive player at that school right now that could go first overall next year in the draft, and we were saying this last year as they were true sophomores, you know. So it, you can't say enough about this guy's ability. Um, just like like I said, athletically he's off the charts. Yeah, combine he's going to kill every single drill. All right. Um, so we talked about his productive uh, way he passes hoops. Um, just want to like throw in a little tidbit his ability to flatten like otherworldly i mean is that is that the right word for it <laughs> you mean like you know bend coming off the edge is that what you mean by flatten yeah yeah bend i mean oh, i mean yeah. bend like like is, is there is there like i mean is there like another is there is there any like we're talking about prospects? I'm gonna draw a hard line between prospects and NFL players. Is there is there is there a prospect that's ever had better bend than him? I mean, you could make the argument and say maybe Josh O'Shea, but O'Shea didn't have a lot of the tools that he has. Because I mean, if you if you remember a few years ago, Jim Nagy was tweeting about the Senior Bowl performance that O'Shea put up, and he had that picture of O'Shea, and O'Shea was almost parallel to the ground coming around that. I think he was he was beating uh, Charlie Heck, which wasn't a great um, feat within itself, but he was showing off some really impressive. I think that's the one guy I've seen in recent memory that might have better bend. But no, you, you with the with the package that Anderson has, no. And I, and I, and I just want to point that out and put this into context is like sometimes people don't understand our sport like that like you know I I heard an English guy kind of say like you know I know it's a lot of American kids they like kind of look like bulldogs and uh, <laughs> I mean it was a very rude comment and uh, you know what what. You know, and, and, and this is like bulky football player. I mean, yes, it, it does exist, and it, and it exists in certain roles. But I mean, these—you look at the body type of these defensive ends, right? I mean, this is this is on the defensive line, right? And you look at these guys, and they like—they literally have body types of like a small forward in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what's what's gotten so crazy about the edge position, right? Because it used to be, you know, you think a great classic defensive end. I mean, Reggie White comes to mind, right? Reggie White was awesome. Yeah. And maybe, I guess, in when I was growing up, the big guy in the NFL was Jason Taylor, right? So 
You can just... So I, I'm I'm gonna defer to my dad on on uh, Red, uh, Bruce Bruce Smith. Oh or, yeah, Bruce Smith. Would... Yeah, right there. Right, him yeah, and, yeah, and Reggie I mean, White I mean... going back and forth with each other for years over the sack record. <laughs> yeah. Reggie White unretiring and coming back to the Panthers just to get it back. <laughs> you know, like that was yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, all right. So we, we've kind of talked about it. This is, this is a top five pick. I think if I'm, if I'm a draft guy and if I'm a scout, I just, I, I just like, like if, if I'm a scout and I'm reporting on Will Anderson to my GM, right. I'm going to tell him like, look, this guy's raw and there's a little bit of a risk here. I just, you know what I mean? Like it just neck and neck, you know what I'm saying? Draft day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, you know, it, it really gets that detailed, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe, maybe like a team might say, Hey, you know, they're picking three or four, right. They might say, Hey, this, you know, a guy might be a little bit more polished. Now that being said, we're talking about sophomore Will Anderson. Yeah. We haven't junior. really seen the junior Will Anderson yet. I mean, we, I mean, we saw him a little yeah. bit. They played Utah state. That was okay. We'll see him this weekend when they play Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you know, and, and he goes out, I mean, he could be number two pick. I mean, generally, you know, this probably won't be a draft that you pick. I think CJ Shroud will go number one. So probably this is, this is the number two. This could be the number two. If he, if he plays up to his potential, right. If he gets his pad level down, if he gets his technique, right. Like this is, this could be the number two pick. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's very accurate. And that, you know, like would to go back to your point where you're talking about, you know, scouts being that detailed um you know when they're reporting on a player back i think when you look at it's that's more of a part of the equation where it's like well do we trade up for this guy you know if we have the draft capital to do it do we make the move to two or three or wherever you know we projected where he's going to be to get him you know and a player being raw and still kind of having that question mark a little bit it prevent it could prevent a trade up you know, where someone at, who might be sitting at two or three is sitting there going, yeah, we're going to take him because, you know, we believe that that's going to be the thing and he's going to fit what we want to do. But a team that, you know, might be five, ten spots down the board, they're not going to move up because, you know, they have to give up all that draft capital for a guy that might potentially bust. You know, and that's, that's I think, where that was an important detail um, when you're when they're reporting on somebody like this. Now, no, 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 I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play devil's advocate, right? If you're a team, let's say you're picking seven, you're picking, you know, you, you got the draft capital, and, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta, uh, you know, a need, you need a pass rusher, you know what I'm saying? You really need to upgrade your defense. Uh, do you trade up and, you know, try to change your defense, right? You do roll the dice and say, hey, this guy's gonna. This guy's going to change my defense. Yeah, it's, it just depends on your draft philosophy, right? So we see, we see it every year. There are teams that are well more aggressive than others throughout the entire draft. I think you can, you can look at teams like the Patriots who have typically – they like to trade back, you know. So they're not as aggressive. They'll let the aggressive teams come up and pick somebody and move back and go get their guy, who they're probably overdrafting anyways by, you know, draft standards. But – that's a whole nother conversation. I'm not trying to start that right now. Um, but it, it's kind of, I think it's, it's also, it really just depends, right? Cause if you're, if you're this close and you need one player 
that could really be a difference maker and you're going to be a Super Bowl contender, yeah, I think you kind of get in that mindset where you're aggressive and you're like, well, we need to go make this happen. You know, and Will Anderson Jr. is our guy. We're going to move up and we're going to get him, right? The other thing that you have to factor into is how deep is the rest of the class, you know, with, with the rest of the talent and how, how big is the drop-off if we get the next best guy. And in this class, honestly, with defensive ends, I think in terms of top-end talent, um, there's a big drop-off. But once you get into, you know, guys that will be really good rotational players and everything else, there's a ton of them. It's, it's, it's really outside the charts um, this year with the depth, especially at that position. So, yeah, it just it's all – it's what we were talking about earlier with, you know, there being so many factors of inexact science. Uh, you just you, – it's what makes it fun, man. You just never know. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some big news uh, from the college football world. It's kind of our it's kind of our teaser news uh, for the college football season, and it's that the NCAA is planning to move to a 12 team college football playoff format. So we're working with a four team playoff format, and obviously, like if you if you're number five, right, you you uh, you say, hey, you know, we got robbed. Uh, we, we deserved it. We were the right team. And, you know, if you're six, you say the same thing. And, you know, so they say, okay, let's expand it, right? Like if you're Oklahoma, right, you expand it. You know what I mean? We want our safe, our seat safe. And obviously, I mean, the SEC is going to be loaded, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the SEC has been loaded, will be loaded. Um, and, 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 and they're going to be bigger than the Big Ten, right? Like they're that's just the that's just the fact of the matter, right? So, um, uh, John, in your words, where are we at with college football playoff? Well, we're getting better. <laughs> so, so we're getting might, better. Interesting. I might have I might have a little bit of an extreme opinion on this, um, but if you look at every other level of college football, the FCS, Division two, II, Division three, everybody has a thirty-two team playoff. And mm-hmm. I know what the next answer, the next thing is, is, well, they only play 10 games. Yeah, that's true. But they might play 12 in the, you know, in the FBS level. But there, it's, it's the fact that they have this playoff format already. So this expanding the playoff, you know, to fit that, it really, it's, it's better for college football. So the next thing, too, is the direction of where college football is going, right? Where you have so many different uh things that have opened up with this nil thing right where you have the nil uh players being paid by you know the the boosters essentially putting together committees and funds to pay these players to come to the school so it's it's almost increasingly headed for a a direction where college football is going to be if you want to be a good program you're going to have to pay the money to do it which means that really opens up the door for anybody as long as they've got the money to do it so when you consider that fact as an evaluator, you know, that watches college football religiously for the NFL draft, um, this is so much better for everything because now I get NFL teams, basically many teams lined up in a 12 team playoff format. Like that's perfect to me, you know, because now I'm going to get to see the fifth best team play the 12th best team. And 
the competition level is going to be much closer to even than it was when they were out playing, you know, San Jose State three weeks ago. You know, so as an evaluator, I get to see more NFL matchups, and I'm all for that. So uh, I like where this is headed, and I think this is going to benefit a lot of players. I think we're going to get more exciting football out of it. The bowl season's going to mean more, at least, you know, with the playoff format. You won't have as many players dropping out um, because they're trying to preserve their NFL draft stock because now they're playing for a national championship. Why would you drop out of that? Unless you're going to go number one, I guess, maybe, if you're, you know, not a quarterback. But, um, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's great. Is it fair to say that the 12-team format, that, that'll be the New Year's Six is kind of the first round of that? So that, that was kind of the question that kind of came up in the call with Bill Hancock. Um, and he basically said that they don't know what direction they're going to go with that. Um, it's really up to the bowl game, right? Because if the bowl game wants to you know, cooperate with, with the playoff and you know, be a part of it, They'll do that. And I think that the bowl games are going to be forced to because they're not going to bring in the big-name teams anymore to these games unless they're part of the playoff format. You know, so because, like, the Rose Bowl traditionally is the Big 12 or the Big 10 winner against the Pac-12 winner, right? And if both of those teams are automatically in the playoff, that means that they're not going to come play the Rose Bowl unless the Rose Bowl is part of the playoff. You know, so I think um, – I think they're going to kind of be forced to do it to survive and to remain relevant. But uh, it will change the schedule. I, 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 it did sound like it's going to change the schedule a little bit. It won't be uh, New Year's Bowl games, you know, like it's traditionally been. Um, it sounds like that it's, it's going to change the bowl season a little bit more. For me, for me, it's too many games. It, it just the wear and tear on these guys' bodies. I mean, these are these are guys who aren't really. I mean, they're getting paid nil money, but like, not all these guys are getting paid a lot of money. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, you're asking them to play like. I mean, some of these guys are like Alabama. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna ask them to play like all these all these, you know, championship games and. Uh, I'm afraid to like, you know, you might be playing a semifinal, you might be playing a quarterfinal and there's a big injury to the quarterback. And all of a sudden that totally changes the dynamic of the playoffs. And I mean, I understand this is big business, you know what I'm saying? And I, I just, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't like, uh, that that happens to the players. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I, I can understand that. Um, I'll play devil's advocate here for a second, and I'll just point out that Alabama is typically winning the SEC and going up and, you know, in the top four anyways. Now, the, the top four te- uh, seats all will be have buys the first week. So the first week of the playoff, the first round is, you know, the bottom eight basically playing to play into uh, the top four seats. It'll be straight bracket. It won't be a. Um, it won't be based on seeds. So the five and the twelve teams play, and the eleven and six teams play, and it goes down the list like that. So those top four teams, they have a bye. They're not playing. So, really, in theory, I think that the 
the direction that we've seen with uh, college football in recent memory is, at least with the play, this playoff format, is the four team is always the weird, the weird one that's sitting there is really out, especially in the last three, four years. Um, if you're the four seed, you're pretty much done. Like you're, you're not at the same level as these top three teams are. And so really I think what it's only going to do is it's only going to add one game. And so then you're going to go from a 15 to 16 games to win the playoff and the national championship. Um, I do, I do understand the, what you're thinking with the, you know, the risk and all that. But the other thing too, is how much longer are these conference championships games going to happen? You know, because if the conference, if they cut that week out, uh, that might ha- that might help with the, the schedule, you know, and eventually expand the playoff even more, which I think is the ultimate goal here. Um, so, because that's always been the biggest thing is, oh, well, they you don't want it to interfere with the college, you know, the um, the cam- the conference championships. Well, if you're just playing straight bracket, and whoever's at the top wins, and you know, the you'll play each other pretty much in the playoff anyways. Teams, I'm just saying, I think that conferences might do away with their conference championship, and you know, conferences are becoming less relevant now than they were. So I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two things. I'm gonna say two. There's two winners from this, right? One is one is definitely, definitely, definitely the TV ratings, right? Oh, TV, TV ratings, ratings gonna, will be they're going to be insane. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and and uh, as far as as far as like November football, right? Like November, I mean third Saturday in October, but like really, really, I mean September football is kind of cool because you get to see the non-conference, and then October and November, I mean. They're a little bland. Like, I mean, some of these, uh, you know, I mean, especially being a CU Buffs fan, right? I went to CU Boulder. Uh, you know, um, you know, November November college football gets a little boring. It gets a little bit sad. Um, but you know, you know me. I like my big games. Uh, November football is going to be lit. December football. I mean, I have to say, I have to say one thing about December football is like sometimes like some of these games kind of feel like a dead end. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't mean anything. You know what I'm saying? Great. We won the new year's, you know, this is the big new year six. What, 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 you know, what, what, what does it, what does it mean? We won. The kids are happy, but like they got some money, but like what, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? It's kind of a dead end. Yeah. No, so TV that's, ratings. That's why people, you know, these kids have been dropping out of these games like left and right. Like that's, it's become normal. That was the, that was the other thing I was going to say is if you're, if you're in that 15, to 20 range i, I want to say this is if you're in that 15 to 20 range you don't give up on the season yeah no you don't and that's that's the thing is i think it i think it's just it's going to make it so much better for everybody like it's, if you have a chance to finish second or third in the conference you're going to go for it it's just going to happen you know and then that's the other thing too is you know um this big giant thing in this playoff format might just force some of these independent teams to join conferences so that they get a shot at, at uh, you know, the playoff. Which... Can, can you explain to me how that works? I'm not quite understanding. Okay. So the top four seeds or the top five seeds or whatever will be the top conference will be the conference champions, right? So you're automatically going to place first through fifth uh, based if you're a conference winner. So, what that does is it locks those spots so that as an independent school, you can't get into them, which means you're going to have to play that first week 
that you know so you'll have to play 17 games to win a national championship if you can pull it off so notre dame uh byu is not going to be in that list anymore because they're joining the big 12 but notre dame is really the big is the exception here to it right where notre dame is an independent school they've been forever and they're proud of it blah 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 okay cool that's great we're, we're really happy for you but here's the thing now you're going to at least to you could be that you could be the number one team in the country and you're going to be seated sixth because you're not a, you're not in a conference and so i think what that's going to do is especially right now because notre dame is prepared uh they're recruiting like crazy they've you know this marcus freeman era over there has been amazing for them so far they played really well with uh you know ohio state on saturday all things considered, with a quarterback making his first career start and, you know, uh, the, the offseason drama that they had. But they're recruiting. They're like third in the country right now with what they've pulled already. And these guys seem like they're committed and they're they're looking great. It might be the greatest recruiting class Notre Dame's ever had. So they're wanting to compete for national championships right now. And if they're not going to get a top seed, why would you stay independent? Yes, um, this is for for me. I, I think I think Notre Dame would get into the top. Tw- I think Notre Dame will perpetually be in the top twelve. Well, I think. Uh, I think. Yeah. I think they have a good chance. Yeah, to stay there. But I'm just saying, like, if they if they play out a season, and they're undefeated, and they are the only undefeated team in the country, which is something that could potentially happen, and they can't get the number one seed because they're not a conference champion. And those seeds up top are reserved for conference champions, you know. So that's that's going to be, I think, the nail in the coffin. Now, the other thing you have to look at, right, with Notre Dame, is TV deals, which is what is driving and fueling a lot of the conference uh, changes that we're seeing across the country, right? You know, for example, USC and UCLA this year, as part of the Pac-12, are going to make just over thirty million in their TV deal. Whereas Northwestern right now in the Big Ten in the Big Ten is making eighty million this year off of their t- television deal. So USC and UCLA going in the Big Ten is really fueled by money, right? Because the payout is so much better. We're talking, you know, if you go to a conference championship game over there and you play Ohio State or whoever you end up playing in that in for that spot, you're you're talking about making a hundred million in just the television deal that year. And that's just too much for those schools that want to be relevant, that want to play on the big stage to pass up. So would you consider the fact that the Big Ten just locked in a television deal that's worth like upwards to $500 million over the next few years and that it's it's locked in with Fox, uh, CBS is in on it, and NBC is in on it. Notre Dame is actually a part of uh, is, is has a television deal with NBC. So I think NBC getting in with that television deal with um, the Big Ten was crucial because the Big Ten wants Notre Dame. There's re- already rumors going on that they've, they're they trying to get them. They're trying to pull Washington. They're trying to pull Oregon. And there's probably going to be another school that they'll try to pull. Uh, so they'll go up there. I think the I- idea is to get to 20 or 24 teams. But... Um, Getting that NBC deal makes it a lot easier for Notre Dame to potentially join the Big Ten. Yeah, this is the thing for me. This is the reason I think you do it. 
and it's 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 a little bit of a subtle it's a little bit of a subtle thing and i, I think i think to the to the, to the intense football fan we kind of pick up on it but maybe like you know from a pr standpoint like no the, the average notre dame fan won't pick up on this but when you when you play the big 10 it just won't be as hard of a schedule as what they've been playing I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's very fair because uh, that's when you're looking at their schedule this year, it's brutal. It's brutal, you know, because they have that and, deal and, with the and, ACC. And, and I've had this argument with Alex, and I, I do respect the hell out of Alex, but I mean, this is the one thing that always puzzles me: is like, how do you not think Notre Dame's schedule is just so intensely hard? So this year alone, Notre Dame opens up against Ohio State. They've got to play Clemson. They've got to play North Carolina. They've got – I know they, they end the year with USC. So, yeah, no, they're they're playing top-tier teams really all season long. Like, they don't have this three-game, you know, group of five schedule. They don't have these little cupcakes that come in and beat them. Even Marshall is a really good team right now who they're going to play this weekend. Um, that's, that's kind of the thing, too, is if you get on a conference schedule, you get to play these Illinois – and, I mean, I'm not saying Illinois is trash, but they've just, you know, traditionally been. Um, UCLA, we don't know how they're going to fare in the Big Ten to start. I think they're going to have a rough time. Um, Rutgers has traditionally been bad. And, you know, so you, you have these schools that traditionally don't compete well with the rest of the conference that you're going to play. So, yeah, I think that's a great point, actually, is the fact that um, your schedule does get a little bit easier because now you're not trying to call up these conferences and, hey, can we work out this and that with this school? We want to get into this. We want to play this school. Because you're not piecing together a schedule, you know, as an independent. You're getting a schedule provided to you and you're playing it. And that's kind of the – that's kind of a bonus to playing in a conference, you know, where you have guys, teams in schools that you play every year. You get familiar with them. And the other thing, too, I think that works for them is you know as a uh, – as an academic school, because Notre Dame – has traditionally been very hard to recruit at because of the academic standards there. And Northwestern has been in that conference, you know, in the Big Ten for forever, it feels like. And they've been competitive. They've been a competitive school in that conference, and they have just as strict uh, academic standards that Notre Dame has. So you know, as an academic school, you can be competitive in that conference, you know, whereas when you look at the SEC, which, I mean, they all brag about their academic standards, but everybody knows that they don't follow them, except for Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt's garbage, and has been for a long time, you know, so that's that's kind of the thing is, I think one of the things that's always kind of held Notre Dame back is knowing that they have that standard and that they're not going to move it for some football. Um, they know that they can be competitive. They know that they'll have a better schedule. It won't be as hard to put together every year. You won't. You, it's a whole lot less work to put together. And by joining a conference, you get a chance to play for those top five seeds. You know, and that's big. That bye week is big. People, I don't think people realize how big that's going to be. It's going to be a great advantage. So, yeah, no, I think that's a great point that you made on that. I'm, I'm going to say this, and... I think, I think this is just the future of Notre Dame and what Notre Dame football will be, right? Um, 
I, I went to a Jesuit school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got my accounting degree at Regis University. Um, they're they're big on social justice, right? Um, you know, and and I think I think what kind of throws a kink in this is the Catholic Church is run by a Jesuit, right? And this this Pope is particularly progressive, right? Compared yeah, to very. previous, yeah, and. And I, and I think it does connect to sort of the politics of the school and that Notre Dame may not always want to be that old, that old guard, you know, uh, Catholic, you know, Irish Catholic, uh, you know, base, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they may, they may just not want to be that anymore. You know what I'm saying? Just, just the powers that be may not want to be that anymore. Yeah. If that, if that's, that could be. If that is the case, then Marcus Freeman's not going to last there very long, because <laughs> uh, he brought back well, a bunch well, of. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean let, let let let's face it, right? Like, uh, I mean, I I don't love to look at everything through a racial lens, but I mean, he's a black head coach. He's he's very friendly. He's 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 kind of more that Jesuit type of personality that that school likes you know what i'm saying yeah whereas like and and that's that's what that's what they want their brand to be they don't want to be the old you know uh what what, what were the old what were the old coaches you know okay well joe joe brian kelly not 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 brian kelly brian kelly before brian kelly Kelly was a horrible fit from the get-go like lou lou holtz and uh lou holtz and uh, the old the old guard fighting Irish coaches. I mean, that's not that's not how that's not very Jesuit. You know what I'm saying? That's just not a very Jesuit type of brand for them. Yeah. So what I what I was kind of playing to is uh, someone had brought this to my attention. I guess it was last week about Notre Dame, and it was that Marcus Freeman had brought back a lot of the old traditional um, Catholic practices with the school that Brian Kelly had done away with when he'd become the head coach. Uh, so, for example, they they go to mass every day uh, before game before the game. So they they leave the church and they walk across the campus, you know, from the touchdown Jesus over to the uh, to the stadium, like they used to. Brian Kelly had had done away with that practice. There's a lot of other little things throughout the program that he's done, and so I guess that was kind of my thing was you know if if they want to get away from that old traditional, you know, Irish Catholic kind of thing, well Marcus Freeman might not be the best fit in terms of the culture that they're trying to build. So what they might be well, forced I, with... I think, I think, I think, well, I I mean I know the Jesuits that they they want to be their tradition, but I mean there 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 is like a term, I think it's like a Latin term in in Jesuit education in the sort of pillars of Jesuit education that is social justice, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that is, that is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the school wants to, I believe, I believe it, it, it would accomplish the goals of the Jesuit mission to, you know, sort, sort of move towards a more progressive um, identity for the Notre Dame Fine Irish. Yeah, yeah, that could be, that could be. And uh, I, I, I really like Marcus Freeman, by the way. I just I wanted to throw I want to throw that out. I mean, he's he, no 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 he's a, he, he's going to be a great coach. Um, I hope it's and, at Notre Dame for his sake, <laughs> and not somewhere and else. The, and, the, and there's two there's two names that could really be NFL type names 
uh, going forward um, and from the college ranks. Um, Michigan State's coach, Mel Tucker, I, I could see it being an NFL name. Um, I could really see him being an NFL name. And the other, the other one uh, is uh, Marcus Freeman. Um, you know, the fact is, is the NFL is moving that way, right? Like it, from, from a standpoint is that it's not going to stand with just one black head coach. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just not right. And, and so, um, you know, and, the, and they're both great coaches, right? Like Brian Flores, great coach, Mel Tucker, great coach, Marcus Freeman, going to be a great coach, right? Those are all guys who should be at the, at the point of their career, you know, NFL head coaches. Yeah. So I, I could see Tucker doing it. And, you know, the thing about Freeman is, um, you know, he's an, he's an Ohio State alum, and they talked a lot about that this week on the broadcast uh, and leading up to the game and everything. But you just – it feels like – I don't know if he would make the jump. I think they'll come calling. Um Someone who might make a little bit more sense still, and you know we've kind of forgotten about them because uh, they've struggled a little a little bit over the last couple of years. But Iowa State's Matt Campbell, I think, kind of fits that NFL coach um, and who they would want to target. Uh, could be wrong. Is, is, is Matt is Matt Campbell a coordinator though, or is he a head coach? That's that's what that's I what think I want. He gets know. a shot as a head coach. I don't know if he's successful. You know what I'm saying? And I, I hate to say that because like you know he's he's done a good job at Iowa State right like they've they've done a great job and Iowa State is a much better program now than they were before he got there but that's kind of the thing is you know is does does he does he get a shot you know and or he, I don't think that I think I don't think the issue is that he gets a shot I think the issue is more is he successful in that um, because that's the big thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, people who know the show know I'm a fan of Matt Campbell, um, and I, I do think that that's enough. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't, I, I don't know how to build on it from there. Um, but uh, I do, I do, I, I just, you know, we're we're running a little bit over. Uh, you know, the, the, we've had some great discussion. <laughs> I just want to kind of preview just one college game, um, and that's the Baylor versus BYU game. Yes. Um, just be just just kind of cap out, you know, kind of the last segment for the show. Um, so Baylor versus BYU. Um, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell it to me straight, John. So this is a great game. Uh, first off, this is going to be awesome, and it's really because a lot of people don't understand just how good BYU is right now. You know, we we've seen all the hype about Baylor this year, and Matt Aranda's done a great job with that program, right? Like they've they came out of nowhere last year and won the Big 12. So I think that they're up for another big year like that. I think they're going to be competing for it. They have a great defense. There's a lot of great guys on there. But BYU is going to be a tough challenge for them because BYU is loaded. Now, a lot of people didn't see it because BYU ended up, I think, in a three-hour weather delay before they could kick off this past week uh, against South Florida. But they went out there and they put 21 points on the board like it was nothing. And it really starts with their quarterback, uh, Jaron Hall. A lot of people don't realize this is potentially one of those guys that rises this year as a quarterback prospect. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be a Zach Wilson kind of rise. I don't think he's going to be, you know, go from seventh round pick to undraftable to second overall. But um, Jaron Hall is a really intriguing guy as a as a prospect. He's got a great arm. He's got a cannon. Um, he's a little bit on the smaller side. He's kind of that Russell Wilson size. Um, but he's he he's got a cannon for an arm. He can run. He's athletic. He he's he's now got a full season of starting experience under his belt. There's still things that need to be worked out, but he's he's looked good. Uh, they have a ton of athletes. Their defense is loaded. They've got a couple uh, potential early pick offensive linemen too, in Clark Barrington and Blake Freeman. Like they 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 have a loaded team, and people really I don't think people realize that enough right now. Yeah, I mean, just from just from a game standpoint, this is this is a pretty close game, right? Like this is this is two teams that are very evenly matched. Yes, this is this is kind of like I'm trying to think. I don't want to sit here and say, "Oh, this game has playoff implications." It it would if it was the 12 team format this year, but I confirmed uh, with uh, on that call. And I asked if we were going to do it any earlier than 2024. They said no, so it's not happening. Um. No, it's 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 gonna be, it's I I don't know what the spread is I don't have that pulled up in front of me I would if I had to guess it's probably Baylor by two and a half, um, but in terms of of on the field talent yeah it's there's great matchups all across the board like everywhere, um I think BYU's got the better quarterback, I think they're just as good in the trenches, BYU's got another guy I really like by the way that I hope that we'll be talking about by the end of this year but that's Tyler Batty. A defensive end. I love Tyler Batty. I just he is he has so much potential, and he's a little bit older is the problem because he did a three-year mission in Spain uh, for the LDS. But um, he he's really exciting. He was making a lot of plays, especially late last year. Um, so so can you kind of give me a little bit of a breakdown of like what time? What type of player this is? Like, what kind of pass rusher he is? Yeah, so he's four three defensive end. He he's kind of balanced. So we're talking like zero uh, six zero four six um, two sixty five. He's only been playing college football for two years. So he's technically by you know deaf by uh, you know college football eligibility rules. He's a super sophomore. Is what he is. Um, he's already married. He's. Got some really great body control. He can play the run. He can get after the pass. Like he, I really like some of the the bend that he flashes coming off the edge. But he's he's still trying to figure out his hands uh, and and how to use them more effectively. But very decent athlete. Um, somebody who likes to blend his speed, use the speed to blend it into power. Um, and he can do he can he can kind of play the three tech and the five tech. Yeah, he's. Really solid tackler. I really like this guy. I think. Uh, I think he. This is this is this is a guy who is definitely four three. Yeah. You draft this guy to be your four three uh, defensive end. Yeah, right? I think. Like play I think play with gonna, his hand in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're gonna you're gonna play this guy. You're gonna draft this guy to as a rotational piece at least to start. Um, that's assuming he comes out. I I I don't think he comes out this year. He might sit another year and you know finish up his degree and everything, but. Uh, yeah, no, you want to talk about a, a rotational piece that could be really valuable into games that could develop into a really good starting defensive end in the NFL, that's Tyler Batty. And so, I mean, let's let's say you do kind of like the 
you know, take a defensive tackle out. Can you kind of can you kind of play him a little bit inside? Yeah, like a little yeah, bit that's, more of an, yeah. That's the three tech, right? So yeah, you have the 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 Bear Bryant defensive line, you know, techniques, quote unquote, the numbers uh, that basically line up the gaps and the different linemen. And I don't, nobody really understands the numbering system and why it was done that way, but Bear Bryant did it, so everybody has stuck with it over the years. But so three tech is that gap between uh, defensive end and, I mean, uh, it's a gap between the guard and the tackle, right? And your one tech is the gap between the center and the guard. So, yeah, he could play the three, he could play the five. Um, I, I wouldn't want to put him on somebody. So when you're on, that's like a even number. I would. He's really a gap player, um, but I really like what he has in terms of upside and uh, just he flashes so much on tape. It's so exciting. All right. Well, um, I just want to close out the show. Um, John, it's been great. Uh, we didn't get to all the topics, um, but I, I think that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> I, I really feel like you and I connect pretty well on football and. Uh, you know, I'm excited to have you kind of on the show um, going forward, um, you know, while Brendan's dealing with family emergencies and so forth. Um, so wh- where can we follow you uh, on Twitter? Yeah, you can you can find me at Draft Vogel um, and see all of my takes and videos and or put all the articles up now that we're doing. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you can follow me at, at NFL Draft Ed. Um, you know, talk a little bit about the Steelers, but I'm a draft guy now. Um, and uh, John, thanks for being on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for, having for me. listening. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening.